I remember turning up at Paradise AOG uh, in, in a time when I was um, deeply uh, struggling with God. Seems much of my life has been a struggle with God. Uh, I missed the message, I was running late, and all I heard was this American, African-American stand up and sing, Great is Your Faithfulness. And it was healing to my soul. Wonderful. We don't need much of a word, we just need the word, the truth about God and who he is to lift us out of our doldrums. Habakkuk was uh, in some doldrums well and truly, wasn't he? Um, There are times in our life, whether it be in our personal circumstances, those close to us, or whether it be as we consider the bigger struggles of this world, that we are tempted to believe that God is doing nothing. Nothing. He's doing nothing. But if we could know and see what God is doing, we would be astounded. And that's what happens to Habakkuk. Now I say Habakkuk, um, if you look at the internet and discover how it's meant to be said, uh, it sounds very different. But that's the way I heard it when I was young, so we'll stick with it today, Habakkuk. Otherwise I'll be making all sorts of mistakes. My wife and I are happy to be back with you. We stayed away last weekend. We could have legally come back last Sunday. Um, But we felt people might be more comfortable with us waiting another week. Uh, But it's over, probably over two weeks since our son and daughter-in-law who are living with us uh, recovered, good recovery from COVID. So we've learnt to live with COVID in our house, sharing the same bathroom and toilet and trying to keep separate. Very, very difficult. We actually felt um, quite at peace in the whole thing, which is interesting. Like when you think when it comes to your front door, what's it going to be like? Well, we, uh, we've got through it quite, quite well. And we had Christmas together, with eating Christmas dinner together with our son and daughter-in-law who were sick with COVID and with some metre separation, but we still were able to be together, uh, missing our grandchildren dearly during that time. And uh, it's good to be back here with you. Uh, so we, Margaret and I just dodged it somehow and feel quite well. Um, but it's good to come back and share this Sunday and next Sunday about Habakkuk. Some translations will say the oracle that Habakkuk, the prophet, saw. Other translations actually say the burden that Habakkuk, the prophet, saw. The burden, that's the word, that's what it means, the burden. What did he see that was such a burden to him? Well, that will become clear as we read the book. And if you haven't read it, you'll have time this week between this sermon and next week's message to just read it. It's a short book, but it's a good book. It's a great book to read. This book is about how the prophet was adjusted in his heart to the burden that he saw. There's a change that happens in Habakkuk. He's not the same person at the end of the book as he was at the beginning. And over the next two weeks, we'll see what changed him. So we'll get a little glimpse of that today. And next week, we'll get a bigger glimpse of what the change that occurred in Habakkuk. 
But initially, this prophet was overwhelmed by the burden of Judah. Remember, this is the southern kingdom now that was remaining. The northern kingdom had been taken out to exile. Um, He is overwhelmed by the burden of Judah's sin that God made him see. We don't don't naturally see the real sin of the world or of anyone unless God enables us, unless he opens our eyes. It's too easy to rationalise stuff or to be totally blind to the evil of this world or of the human heart. But God opened uh, Habakkuk's eyes to the sin around him. You know, when Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, we normally think of a funeral, don't we? But I actually think he was talking primarily about mourning over the sin of Israel. Habakkuk's burden uh, to begin with was to be shown the terrible wrong in Judah. And uh, you can see it. Uh, Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? Uh, Sorry, verse 2. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear. I cry to you or cry to you violence and you will not save. And later on, destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. The law is paralysed. Justice never goes forth. The wicked surround the righteous. So justice gets perverted. Now, we may not feel that is the case in our community. But I tell you, you don't have to look far or dig very deep in our own society for this to be so. But he's not talking about secular society. He's talking about God's people. To see corruption in the people of God. That was horrific for the prophet to see that. And then to feel that God was doing nothing. He was crying out to God and God was not answering. That's how Habakkuk felt. Have you ever found yourself perplexed by God's apparent inaction in the face of wrong and suffering. I'm sure you have. Uh, There are times in our own lives when we feel that God, it would be good if God did something at this point and this is what he should do and then nothing seems to happen and we wait and wait and there's nothing. God appears to be deaf or worse, unmoved by our pain. Nothing changes. God is silent. Now, what we need to see is that Habakkuk does not have a weak view of God. You can have a weak view of God and come to that place of perplexity and of uh, even anger and rage against God. This is not Habakkuk. He doesn't have a weak view of God. He doesn't doubt doubt God's power to deal with the wrong that we see. He does not believe in a God who winks at sin. The reason why he complains against God is precisely because he knows that the everlasting God is holy and cannot ignore sin without coming against it in judgment. He's unhappy with God because God is not acting in accordance with his character. 
What's his first complaint? Well, his complaint is that God's not answering his cry for help. How long will I cry out for help? Why doesn't God do something? He appears to be just looking on lazily, not really worrying about what he's seeing. He allows justice to be perverted and the innocent to suffer. And yet he knows that God is big enough to deal with the evil in Judah and to uh, deliver those who are faithful in Judah from uh, the violence and the corruption and he just can't understand why God is doing nothing. Now he was right. He was right about the need for God to act. But he was wrong to think that God was doing nothing. He was wrong in assuming that God would uh, use the means that he thought should be used uh, to deal with the unfaithfulness of his people. What did the prophet expect? Maybe that God would raise up a, a godly king to restore God's people on the right track. Uh, but whatever he wanted, it was not what was coming. Uh, he wanted God to get serious about dealing with sin, but he wasn't prepared for the answer. Um, he had no awareness of how seriously God was taking Judah's sin, uh, nor the terrible lengths that, lengths that God would go to deal with it. So the Lord's first answer is this, verse 5, Look among the nations and see, wonder, and be astounded. So God's saying, open your eyes. You take another look. <laughs> Habakkuk is saying, God, open your eyes. And God says to Habakkuk, no, you open your eyes and look around. You want me to deal with the evil of my people? Well, be surprised, be astonished. I am doing something about it. I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe even if someone told you. But could it be that God is doing a work in our day that if we really understood and knew what God was doing, we would be astounded? And we sometimes say something is too good to be true, but in this situation, what he said... What God is about to tell Habakkuk is actually too bad to be true. Too bad to be true. Um, it's a work of judgment, so astounding that Habakkuk would have trouble believing it. And uh, God was right, because Habakkuk did have trouble accepting it. Uh, he tells Habakkuk that he's raising up the Chaldeans or the, the Babylonians. They are a violent nation. Uh, they were unstoppable in their desire to conquer and to build, expand their kingdom over the earth, to devour other nations. They were fearful. They were arrogant. They were people who laughed at the defences of others. Their might was their God. They worshipped their own power. They were a cruel, godless kingdom, uh, fully aware of their desire to dominate the world. And prof the prophet was fully aware of what Babylon was about. Um, 
but he also believed that God would never allow Babylon uh, to threaten or conquer Israel. So he had a faith. So when God tells him that that's exactly what he's going to do, then Habakkuk is thrown even deeper into turmoil. I suppose there are times when we, we've cried out for God for an answer and then the answer comes and it's worse than we... It's not the answer we wanted. And this is not the answer that Habakkuk wanted. And so, listen to this response from Habakkuk. And I love the um, translation that was read to us in the Bible reading. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you've ordained them as a judgment. And you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. That doesn't mean God's squeamish about sin. You know, sort of, oh, oh, oh. No, he cannot look on wrong without coming ultimately against it to judge it and destroy it. That's the nature of God. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? That was the, the complaint at the beginning about the, the wicked in Judah destroying the righteous ones in Judah. But now he's saying, look, you're going to give the Babylonians a free go and they are destroying whole nations and you don't care? How can that be if you are holy? And he goes on to talk about making uh, humanity like the fish of the sea, and we'll talk about that in a second. Um, He can't believe that God would destroy his own people. We shall not die. Because all he can see is if the Babylonians come, they're, they're history. As God's people, how could God do that? You've got to be kidding. You can't do this, God. Sometimes if we knew what judgments God was bringing into this world to fulfil his gracious, holy purposes of eternal love, then we too might find ourselves questioning the wisdom of God. And I suspect we do. The problem for Habakkuk is not just why God is allowing evil to run unchecked among his own people, it's suddenly much, much bigger. You know, the God who he always believed was righteous, who must come against evil to destroy it, is not only letting his own people, well, he's not going to let his own people get away from injustice, but he's going to let a far more wicked people get away with treachery and violence against Judah and he says that uh, he actually describes them poetically the Babylonians as how they treat the nations like helpless fish he goes fishing Uh, you make mankind like the fish of the sea literally when they captured nations they would take the captives back home with a hook through their top lip and all linked together. They were just like fish that had been caught, being taken home. That's how wicked 
the Babylonians were. The Babylonians were just going on a fishing trip around the nations. The Lord's answer seemed shockingly wrong. God appears to be using a sledgehammer to crack a nut. Uh, there's an old saying that the, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Well, I suspect Habakkuk would have reworded that quote. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for God to do nothing. And it, it would appear to Habakkuk that God, in allowing Babylon to run amok over the nations and over Judah, his own people, that... God is doing nothing about evil. And that's why Habakkuk is in quite a state. He's not simply having a, a whinge at God. He's not criticising God in order to justify himself. He is a man of God who cannot work out why God is not living up to his word. That word Habakkuk means embrace. He's, he's embracing God in a, like a wrestle. He's wrestling in prayer with God uh, like Jacob did centuries before. And God, and he won't let go until he gets an answer. Um, it's, this is not a complaint of a faithless man. It is the complaint of a man of faith. God never rebukes Habakkuk. He's wrestling with what he knows of the character of God and the terrible suffering and evil that he sees around him. He's profoundly burdened over the sin of God's people. He longs that God do something. But when God tells him what he's going to do, he's got a bigger problem than he began with. Now, I love Habakkuk. Sometimes we vent our frustrations with God, but we don't hang in there long enough with our doubts and our pain to give God a chance to speak to us. But Habakkuk hangs in there. He not only cares about God's people, he cares about God's name, his character. He wants to believe that God is good and just and righteous because that's what he had been taught. That's what he'd rested his life on. This God who had come to the rescue with great mercy and grace and saved Israel so many centuries before, he doesn't want to let go of what he believes about God's mercy and grace. But he can't make sense of it in the present. And he can't live with an unreal faith. He needs to know that God not only wants to or can, but is dealing with the evil of this world. I will take my stand. Chapter 2, verse 1. At my watch post, at the, uh, the rampart on the tower, you'd, you'd go up into the tower to look to see what's coming, whether it's an enemy or a friend. You'd watch there. That's what they, you know, we talk watch and pray. Well, he was he, he symbolically in his heart, he was watching to see what God would do, how he will answer me, what he will say, and what I will answer concerning my complaint. So this is refreshing honesty about Habakkuk's prayer, but there's a boldness that nearly borders on audacity. He's close to inferring that he knew better than God and that God needed to do some explaining. The wonderful thing, God's willing to answer him. That's God's incredible humility that he would come down to this little angry prophet 
and answer him without rebuking him. And he willingly shows Habakkuk something of his ways. He wants us. God wants us to want want what he wants. He wants us to want what he wants and to be willing to go through whatever it takes to get there. God wants to shape our wills, to shape our prayers, to reflect his wisdom and purpose. And uh, those prayers, those kinds of prayers, don't come automatically. To think his thoughts, to pray in line with his ways, doesn't come without often deep pain and struggle. That's how it was with Habakkuk. His ways are not our ways, his thoughts not our thoughts, but he wants them to be. And as we wrestle in love with God, he lifts us to see what he sees and to ask for things that God wants for the world, even if it means much pain and grief. And God wants us to expect us to answer him, even if we have to wrestle through the night. So how does God answer Habakkuk? He says this, chapter 2 and verse 2. The Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. This is not just a, a vision, an answer for Habakkuk. It's an answer for all who were crying out to God to encourage, to strengthen them. He said, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. The fulfilment of what he sees won't necessarily come when he wants it to come, but it will come at its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. What God says he will do, he will do. If it seems slow, wait for it. Don't give up. Be patient. You know, we're called to be patient through this pandemic in our praying. Not just that the pandemic be over, but that whatever purpose that it has been given to us and to the world and to the nations, that it might work that purpose to completion. Wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. You know, what looks like a delay from our end is no delay from God's end. He will speedily vindicate his elect. That's what that parable about the widow and the unjust judge. God is not an unjust judge, but if that unjust judge finally gives in because she won't give in, how much more will God bring justice to those who cry out to him? So we're not to give up. And Habakkuk's prayers were not for no purpose. They were not futile. God was answering. He just couldn't see it. And then he says, behold, his soul is puffed up. Whose soul? Not just Judah's, although that would be true. No, Babylon's soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. And, uh, you know, we, we live in a world now where the big, the big powers and the big men of this world get puffed up. Not just Russia, not just China, it can be America too. 
You know, those, it's everyone's wanting to be known as the superpowers of this world. Reclaim their rightful, you know, their ancient past and their ancient glory. It, nothing changes, does it? Human pride, big egos. That's what brings the, the suffering and the great evil of this world. You know, we could be on the verge of another major war with Russia over Ukraine and so forth. And if it does happen, how many people will suffer and needlessly die? How many children? And there's no point saying, oh God, this should never happen. This is the history of this world. This is a fallen humanity. This is what human beings do to each other for power, for glory. But they won't live. Babylon lasted a hundred years and then was destroyed as a kingdom. All the kingdoms of this world have come crashing down eventually, haven't they? And they always will. But the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous, Habakkuk, you are one of my righteous servants and the way you will get through this is to live by faith. Not by what you see or what appears, what it appears that God is doing or not doing, but by faith in the good God who is faithful. Great is thy faithfulness. The righteous shall live by faith by trusting that God will fulfil his purposes and will not delay and bring justice and vindicate all who have trusted him, even in their pain. He lists then, he makes it clear that Babylon is going to get what it deserves. And all the Babylons of this world will, whether they be individuals or nations. And where Babylon has crept up in our own hearts and we've become proud and arrogant and violent and cruel, then we too will be dealt with. If we're God's people, it'll be the discipline that we need to turn our hearts to him. But if we've rejected God, there will be judgments that come. And there is eternal judgment And no one, no one, Habakkuk, will get off scot-free. So he needed to know that God is a just judge who will fulfil his righteous rule in this world to bring it out of evil and pain and suffering into the glorious freedom of the children of God. He will fulfil his purposes for the creation, he is faithful. And uh, there's all sorts of stuff here I wanted to share, but I, I won't. Well, just one thing, you know, I was reading Jeffrey Bingham's book on the three rice cakes, and he made this comment that one sergeant said that it only takes 24 hours for a, for a human being to become an animal. When we trust in our own strength, that's pride then we cannot even deliver ourselves from the evil that we hate in other people. It'll creep up in our own being. And that's what happened in the POW camps. 
People just didn't fear the Japanese at that point who were holding them captive. They feared each other when everyone was doing what was right just for themselves. You know, it's an appalling thing when we realise that America, the great bastion of Western democracy and, and rightness, could torture people. And that's what they did in their war on terror. And they said, we don't torture people, therefore what we're doing is not torture. God will not let any nation, no matter how great their Christian heritage, get away with that. And so we shouldn't be surprised at, at those powers that maybe we've looked to and trusted to are looking very frail and weak because the moral fabric has been so ruptured because we've sought to go our own way and say, call good, evil, call evil good. That's what happened to Judah. It can happen to any nation. It can happen to any church. But God is faithful and he will not, he has not uh, walked away from his utter commitment to putting an end to human sin. And that's what he does. He, he says, woe. If you look in chapter 2, there's woe after woe. Uh, he says, woe in chapter verse 6, to him who heaps up what is not his own. Greed. Unjust gain. Woe to him. They will become spoil. They who have plundered others will become plunder. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. Woe to those who trust that they're secure and they won't suffer. They will forfeit their own life. Woe to him, verse 12, who builds a town with blood, who founds a city on iniquity. They're wearing themselves for nothing, building up their own city because it will come crushing down. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Can you see that? God is determined and no matter how powerful a nation or evil that seeks to stand against God, it cannot succeed. God will fill the earth with the knowledge of his glory. He'll have nations who love him for his fame, for his goodness, for his majesty, for his love. What is at stake? I went for a walk as I was wrestling with this message. What is at stake in God's dealings with Israel for God to be willing to turn on Babylon against his own people? What is at stake? Well, what's at stake is God's glory in all the world. What's at stake is a fractured humanity being restored to that glory. That's the, the hidden wisdom that God destined for our glory that no one understood. What's at stake is the glory of Jesus Christ being made known. What's at stake is true worship. A world healed and redeemed from all that defiles and harms and causes trouble and death. That's what's at stake. If we think what God does seems heavy-handed or totally over the top then we don't really know what's at stake. 
we're going to sing in a moment a song about someone else who was struggling with God, struggling with his father, actually. It was Jesus in the garden. Um, Lord, take this cup from me. What he was, what, what God was showing his son of not just of the evil, not just out there, but the evil that was going to come and torment his own soul as he took on the burden of this world's sin. Paul in Acts, as he preaches, he, he quotes Habakkuk. He says, be astounded. Be appalled at what God has done. <laughs> Who would have believed that the Son, the Holy Son of God, would bear the horror and darkness and sin and evil of this world in his own body on the tree? That's how God, how far God would go. That's the judgment that God would bring to deal with a sinful humanity so that we might be changed and turned back to a people for his own glory. At the beginning of this book, the prophet complained that God was silent, doing nothing. But at uh, verse 20, he says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. The, the, the idols are silent. <laughs> they can say nothing. They're dumb, they're deaf, they're blind. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. And that's where Habakkuk is brought to. To the place uh, where he declares that the whole world should be silent before this God, this living God, who is in his temple and who will do what he needs to do for the sake of his own glory and for the good and the salvation of this world. And that's where we're going to leave Habakkuk, not quite finding out where, how that deeply affects him. We'll hear about that next week. But what a good place to be to be left silent in his presence, waiting, trusting, believing, worshipping, loving him for his goodness and for his goodwill and purpose. Let's pray. Now, gracious Father, you are God. We are not and we, we often, Father, have no idea of what you are doing. But, Father, as your people, you've not left us in the dark, but you've showed us who you are through your Son and by a cross and a resurrection that we might trust that you as God are redeeming and reconciling this world to yourself through your son and it's been all done and dusted in that cross the place now father where we come and share in around the table to know father that this is the overcoming of evil that will one day 
be seen as the liberation of the whole creation from its futility and its bondage to decay as we're brought into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And that, Father, you will do all that's needed to bring your children from every nation out of darkness into your marvellous light. Give us such a faith, dear Father, in these days. The righteous shall live by faith. Father, help us as you helped Habakkuk in his day. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.